0: Well, as you likely heard, Simi was filling in earlier today on The John McComb Show. If you are interested, check out The John McComb Show podcast. You will find that wherever you get your favorite podcasts as well as at cknw.com. Well, let's shift gears and talk about some new technology now. And it's all about giving advance warnings when it comes to earthquakes. And uh, as we know here in BC, we are... Often reminded that the big one will be hitting at some point. Well, the BC Transportation Ministry is now looking to purchase 25 new hybrid earthquake sensors that would not only expand the existing strong motion sensor network, but it would also provide information needed for the early warning systems. They would be put on places such as bridges, and they would provide notice that an earthquake is imminent imminent, that is. So how does it work? And is it something that could be something that homeowners could adopt? Or could we see them on major pieces of infrastructure as well? We'll bring in now Bayrad Bayrani. He is an associate professor with the School of Mechatronic Systems and Engineering at SFU. He's been developing this kind of sensor technology at the
1: university.
0: Uh, professor Beirani, thank you so much for joining us on the program.
1: Oh, you're
0: very welcome. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, we are often fearful or we are told uh, to make sure we are prepared for when a large earthquake hits this region. Uh, We're now looking or we're seeing that the uh, provincial government is looking at buying earthquake sensors. Uh, This is the kind of research that you're involved with as well. How are we as far as developing technology that's, that is actually able to sense uh, an earthquake?
1: Um, so we've been able to sense earthquakes for many, many uh, decades, actually. The issue is that the sensors that are used to detect earthquakes are very expensive. Uh, the way this detection happens is that uh, usually at the onset of an earthquake, two waves are produced. One is the surface wave that is very destructive and, and causes all the destruction in the, to the buildings and infrastructure around us. And there is another wave that is called, that is a P wave or a pressure wave, which is essentially the sound of the earthquake. And this wave travels a bit faster than the destructive wave. And this is the wave that actually the animals can hear and react to and we humans cannot. Um, So the issue is that making, these are, well, obviously very, very weak signals if the earthquake is relatively far from us. And the sensors to pick them up are delicate instruments and uh, many places, many uh, infrastructure, many organizations cannot afford the highest sensitivity devices. And with the advances in the technology, we are moving towards uh, um, basically developing these new types of sensors that are lower cost, lower uh, power power consumption is lower and they take smaller areas. And the idea is that we can spread these sensors over wider areas and uh, basically have a network of these sensors that hopefully can talk to each other, but can individually protect an infrastructure or uh, provide local warning to people or occupants of a a building.
0: How much time would they give us? Uh, Interesting, you mentioned it's kind of the the same uh, waves that animals pick up on, and animals always know before the humans know uh, when an earthquake is coming. How much uh, advance notice would they they give us?
1: Uh, Well, because the detection uh, mechanism is based on the difference in the speed of these two uh, waves, it actually depends on how far you are from the epicenter of the earthquake. The closer you are, the smaller is that time difference. But typically it's about a few seconds per 10 kilometers of distance. So if an earthquake happens about 200 kilometers from let's say Vancouver, you get somewhere between 20 to 40 seconds of reaction time to that earthquake,
0: which can be crucial in in that moment.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, well, Okay. So even if you're relatively close and even, even if you have, let's say, only five seconds of warning time or something like that, that's still plenty of time for systems to react to, to that signal. Right. So, for example, you can shut down um, uh, machinery very easily. You can, uh, if needed, you can disconnect the gas and uh, electricity supplies to buildings. Those systems react much faster than humans. Uh, But even for case of humans, if there's a surgery going on in operating room, you can basically, you know, five seconds of warning is enough for the surgeon to move a bit uh, from the patient. And and, uh, it it, it can save quite a bit of uh, um, human life. But also it can be very crucial in terms of post-earthquake damage uh, control.
0: And these sensors, are they still in the development phase or are are they at a stage where they're actually being tested?
1: Um, okay, so the, the actual sensors themselves or, or the devices that can pick up these kinds of vibrations, they've been around for many decades now. The challenge with them was the cost. You know, hmm. these devices are tens of thousands of dollars a piece and they're very delicate. They need special installation and, and um, for that reason they're not that widespread. Nowadays there are alternative devices that are. Essentially, in many cases, microsystems, systems, micro devices, the type of devices that we are working on at the uh, SFU. Uh, and these are basically gaining enough performance uh, and improving uh, so much in terms of their frequency response sensitivity and other aspects that they can be used as strong motion sensors nowadays in many applications. And I think we are going to see more and more of the widespread use of these microsystems in this application.
0: And where would you put them or where would be, We, we you, you mentioned a, a few places where it would be crucial to turn things off, where, uh, you know, gas systems or machinery or operating rooms, would they be placed, say, uh, closer to hospitals or by bridges or by big infrastructure pieces?
1: Exactly. So it depends on the type of infrastructure you're trying to protect. For example, if it is a bridge, you want it to be somewhere close to the bridge so that you can operate, for example, signals so that the drivers would not go on the bridge, or if it is uh, supposed to protect a building, what you can do is that you can bury them usually at a different depth, but you can bury them near the building to remove some of the surface noise, and once they detect a uh, signal, well, a suspicious uh, suspicious signal, they can basically warn the occupants or, or the machinery, but they are attached to the infrastructure that they are intended to protect. But With the advances that are, uh, especially over the past, uh, let's say, decade or so in the Internet of Things and such uh, areas, there is a possibility to connect these sensors to each other, and radio waves travel much faster than, than these seismic waves. So if your earthquake sensor here in Vancouver picks up something, you can, for example, Alert people in Chilivac or Abbotsford that an earthquake is coming. You know it's probably ten minutes, ten seconds from you, but we detected it already. And with a network of these sensors, not only you can detect the magnitude, but you can also detect the direction of this earthquake wave. Right? Which direction is it traveling? You know what are the areas that are at danger and and uh, so on and so forth.
0: Which and again, I would imagine too, you'd be able to know which areas are going to are in danger of the most damage.
1: Yes. So for that, you need uh, more than one sensor, because one sensor gives you information about one spot only. You need an image. Uh, so these are like pixels in a, in a digital image. The more pixels you have, the finer is the information that you have about the larger area. So you need a network of these sensors, and with the uh, current technology, or let's say current uh, existing uh, solutions, that's going to be very, very expensive. But these upcoming sensors, these new devices can hopefully bring down the cost so that you can equip every major building with one of these sensors and every major piece of infrastructure with one of these sensors.
0: And and do you think, would that be enough? Is there a certain point where if you were able to put them in every major building and major center, uh, is that enough to cover the area? Or do you see a time where the cost comes comes down enough? This is something that's uh, commonplace in a home as well.
1: Um, Okay, so in my research group, we certainly think that this is going to be cheap enough, affordable enough that you can put it in a home in a a few years, hopefully. But right now, you know, you basically in many cases do not need one per home. You need one per block because that entire block is going to be subjected to the same earthquake. There are cases that you can argue that, yeah, it is going to have, uh, you have benefits if there is one per home, but this could be different sensors, different capabilities. But in general, uh, yeah, you need, um, you know, a, a relatively good-sized region can be monitored with a sensor. So, if, let's say, if you have one sensor per block, you're, you're covered pretty well.
0: All right. Well, a very interesting research, and given that people would like to uh, have as much advanced notice as possible. Uh, Behrad Bahraini, thank you so much for joining us today on the program.
1: My pleasure.
0: Professor Bahraini is an associate professor with the School of Mechatronic Systems and Engineering at Simon Fraser University.